Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode of Patriots Report is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. Everything from NFL and bowl season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. For the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events, head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. Today on the Patriots Report, it's Kyrie Thompson of WEEI and WEEI.com. We put the wraps on the Patriots season and look forward to three things that Bill Belichick has to do this offseason if he wants to get the Patriots back to where he wants them to be. Kyrie, the thing that I kept coming back to at the end of Sunday's game where you're saying, well, you know, it's a win and you're in if you're the Patriots, they didn't even need to let it get to that point. Honestly, you know, if they had beaten Green Bay, a winnable game, if they had beaten Minnesota, a winnable game, and if they'd beaten the Raiders, certainly a winnable game, then even if they lose in Buffalo, you're looking at 11 and six, and we're sitting here talking about what a wild card game as opposed to the draft, free agency, whatever the case may be. You, you brought up the, the Packers game, which, I mean, I guess I don't fault them that much for not winning that with Bailey Zappi. But, yeah, you're right, winnable game that went to overtime. You kept Aaron Rodgers down long enough to pull out the win. The, the three games that I think about are the Bears game on Monday Night Football, the Las Vegas fiasco, and the Bengals game, honestly. because. You, you threw away two of those games. I mean, you, you were on the five-yard line against the Bengals. That, 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 all you got to do is not fumble there, and you stand a pretty good chance of winning that game. You had all three of your timeouts. It was first down. I mean, come on. You had, you had every chance in the world to win that game. Um, you know, obviously, the, the lateral situation could have gone to overtime, and you were probably good enough to win that game because the Raiders aren't a very good team. And then getting your doors blown off against – a team that ended up getting the number one pick in the NFL draft because they were horrible, but they smoked you at home. Mm -hmm. And it's just, to me, right, you, you bring up those additional examples, the Packers and the Vikings. There are so many opportunities where you say, look, a, game, a plane here, a game there, what have you. We could have been talking about a wild card spot. But the difference is that the good teams win those games, mm -hmm. right? The good teams make those one or two plays that get you to 12 and five or 13 and four. And then the myth teams are the ones that end up eight and nine, like the Patriots and they can't take advantage of it. So that's the difference to me. I always go back to the, and I've done this multiple times now, really over the course of the season, I did it at the, and I'm going to paraphrase here, the quote from Belichick that, that David Andrews has used, you know, you have to learn how to lose before you, you know, you know how to win yeah. fundamentally. And it seemed like more and more, you, know, you could point to as you bring up you know, good teams win those games good teams close those you close those games out and they're maybe just not there yet but I'm, I'm curious the fact that those were quote-unquote winnable games for the Patriots does that mean they're closer than we think they are I guess closer to what in particular a playoff team a playoff team oh yeah yeah definitely I mean they, they arguably very well, you know, could have said we should have been a playoff team this year, 
right? They were a playoff team last year. They basically had the same personnel. So it logically would say to me that, sure, that could, totally could have been a playoff team this year. The difference being some of the coaching issues and some of the things that they changed that didn't work out. But yeah, close to a playoff team, definitely. They could make the playoffs next year. I wouldn't be surprised at that, depending on what the roster construction is like and who ends up coaching the offense in particular. But if you're talking about how close are we to seeing a Super Bowl contender in here, that seems pretty far away. Yeah. But could you get yourself into the dance next year? Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's true. And in the back end of the AFC, there's so much uncertainty that I think that you could make a case for this team adding one piece here there makes them a playoff team. But in the end, that's ultimately not where they want to be. I want to get your pick this year for team MVP. And there's a handful of guys. It's funny. I put this on Twitter about two thirds of the way through the season. And I had, I think it was Mac Jones, Matthew Judon, Nick Folk, and Ramondre Stevenson. And in, in, I, I think most people picked, I believe it was either Stevenson or Judon at that point. Um, I'd be curious to get your take because I, I still think Ramondre Stevenson was the MVP of this team. Yes, I think he was He was definitely your best offensive player for sure. And I think he was probably, I mean, Matthew Judon was probably the best overall player when you think about what he did, not just individually, but what he opened up for guys like Josh Uche and what he allowed other guys to do along the defensive line. I mean, the defense was better than I expected it to be, even against good opponents. I mean, they weren't locking down the good opponents necessarily, but they were more competitive than they were last year. And I think that was a big issue. So I, I feel like I would almost go like co-MVP mm -hmm. with Ramondre Stevenson and, and Matthew Judon, just because look, offensively, I mean, Ramondre Stevenson had, well, it was like the second you know leading pass catcher on the team or something like that. Uh, behind Jacoby Myers, and then you throw in the fact that he had uh, you know, over a thousand rushing yards, is a thousand and forty on the season. He was the only consistent threat that this offense had, aside from Myers, and he was doing so much of it on his own, creating at the line of scrimmage or in the backfield because they weren't blocking things up very well for him. I give him all the credit in the world. I mean, obviously. You know, the ball security was an issue. He started the lateral play in Las Vegas. But, I mean, you, you got to look at the way that he was performing. He was tired by the end of the year. He was exhausted. But he was going out there, giving it everything that he could anyway. And I think he's proven himself as a, as a true three down back in this league. The other name that I would throw in there, or actually two of them, honestly, as dark horse candidates for that, would be Kyle Duggar and Marcus Jones. Yeah. Because Marcus Jones, obviously, is all-around value offense, defense, special teams. He was a spark plug for this team. And Kyle Duggar, man, three defensive touchdowns and honestly three, was like four out of five of the last, uh, you know, weeks of the season had game-changing plays for that team. I mean, he was absolutely outstanding. As Dietrich Wise Jr. said uh, in, in one of his uh, post-practice pressers, I don't think he is becoming a star. He is a star. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so much of what they want to get done defensively really came back to Duggar. And I, I think that when he was out, I think it was noticeable. Um, I'm glad you bring up Marcus Jones, and I was saving him for my choice for team rookie of the year. I think far and away, he yeah. is one of the most impactful first year players in the league. And I know that he obviously can't win 
offensive rookie of the year or defensive rookie of the year, but he needs to have some level of acknowledgement, I think, league-wide. I was talking about this with LG a couple of weeks ago, and he compared him to a young Julian Edelman. And, and mm. you know, you, know, you can put Troy Brown in the mix there as well. And the fact that this is a guy who's been able to contribute in all three phases of the game, I am fascinated to see what is in store for him when he gets more of the offensive playbook down, does Bill decide to open up the offensive playbook and include him more on that side of the ball? Does he decide to make him more of a full-time corner? Obviously, he's going to continue in that special teams role, but he's the guy who I am most fascinated to see going forward. And clearly, for me, he is the team rookie of the year this season. Yeah, without a doubt. Nobody even really comes close. I mean, Cole Strange started every year, every game of the season. you got to give him credit for that. It was up and down at points, but I think by and large, I mean, in terms of rookie contributions, started every single game and generally I think didn't look out of place. Still got some room to get better, got to improve his technique. We talked about that a couple times in the locker room. He's very, very aware of the things that he needs to improve on. And then, you know, Tyquan Thornton obviously has room to grow. Um, I, I feel like they just didn't know how to use him this year. And then you see some glimpses of what he could do in that Miami game. Then you have Jack Jones, who started off hot, and then obviously that ended with a bit of a whimper, uh, a little bit of controversy as well. But, I mean, there's there's really no other choice but Marcus Jones. And I think you bring up an interesting point here. What if there's a situation where you just drafted a guy who's a really good player, and then you, know, you throw him in at cornerback because that's his natural position. That's what he's been playing this entire time. Obviously, you throw him on returns. But man, what if you just decide his potential is so electric on offense that you have to give him more of a share of offensive snaps going forward, mm -hmm. especially for a team that was really begging for playmakers like that. And then you just you throw him in there and he's instant offense. I mean, that was that was incredible. Just first offensive touch in the biggest game of the year up to that point against the Buffalo Bills at Gillette Stadium. He just takes it for a touchdown. What are you talking about? You know, and then and then another key touch against the Bengals gets you down into the red zone. Like, I, I think he's he's so interesting. I can't wait to see what they end up doing with him as well. And I don't know, depending on how they beef up some of these other other positions, maybe it's a situation where, yeah, we could still use him in all three phases, but we could potentially put him anywhere for any, you know, just a small percentage of snaps and then use him where we need him the most as his full time job. I think he gets 15 to 20 offensive snaps a game, maybe 20 tops, but he really showed his importance. And maybe this is just personnel this year at the end of the season. He really showed a level of importance when, you know, talking about on the defensive side of the ball at cornerback. And, and I think that, you know, obviously part of that is tied back to Jack Jones and the overall health situation at that position. But I think his long-term future is more of a cornerback and returner. But again, you want to get him the ball in space 10 to 15 times a game and see what happens because he's an electric playmaker. He's a dynamic presence. And I think it's been a long, long time since the Patriots have had that kind of guy on the offensive side of the ball. I think they want, that's what they want JJ Taylor to be. That kind of, that, that kind of run. I don't think he's ever going to be that kind of runner, just, you know, the pure skill set but I think he's one of those guys who I think really brings an added level of excitement electricity to the offense I, I'm curious we talked a little bit about I talked a little bit about this with LG um last week about the impact of Slater and McCourty on this team over the last dozen years after what you saw Sunday post game what do you think they do are they coming back are they playing elsewhere are they going to retire 
I feel like Devin McCourty is probably going to retire. Slater, I mean, there was certainly a, a big level of emotion there. I think it's possible. Maybe he gives it another go. But at the same time, man, I, I think that he's going to be 38 next year. Um, I think that he, he's he's made plenty of money. And, uh, you know, he, he's done everything that you you could possibly do uh, for, for a guy, you know, in his position. I think it's, it's totally reasonable for him to walk away as well. If you had to make me guess, I would say both of them probably retire. I think Devin's more likely. It really felt like that game against the Dolphins, like he, he felt like that was his last game at Gillette, or at least that's the way that he was talking about it. I mean, hey, he even got himself back on, on his own uh, individual Twitter account today. So I think he, he's prepping for whatever the next step is. And, and Jason was over there talking about how we got to get this guy verified and, and all that. So I don't know. I just, I feel like the signs are kind of there right now where Devin is probably going to be done. And I think that I, I got to say, whether they are or not, and you just go ahead and say it now, I'm sure I'll say it again, but there might not be two better ambassadors ever in the history of the franchise than those two guys on and off the field. It was an honor getting a chance to interview both of them, like within the course of a week on WEEI when I was a fill-in host. I mean, you just kind of, you, you, you feel like when you, when you're talking to them, you know, whether it's on air or whether it's in person in the locker room, they're just tremendously honorable people in addition to being very good football players. And they showed in that last game, they still got it, man. Devin McCourty had a, had an interception pass breakup, fumble recovery. Matthew Slater just created a, a, a fumble recovery out of nowhere by throwing a guy into a rolling punt. I mean, come on, they can, they can still play the game if they wanted to. And I feel like there's no better way in, in my mind to go out than knowing you could still give it another go. I think McCourty retires, and I think Slater plays one year with the Rams, follows in his father's footsteps, goes out to Southern mm. California, and is not overly impactful. But I think that puts a nice bow on his career, at least from a familial perspective. Give me a name of a guy in that locker room that maybe we're not talking about, or maybe two or three guys who could fill their shoes when it comes to leadership, when it comes to a veteran presence. Who are the guys who are poised to take that next step to be able to replace guys like Devin and Matt. So, I mean, obviously you got somebody like a, like a David Andrews is already entrenched, but there are a couple of guys that are more under the radar where, I mean, Jawan Bentley is a guy that gets talked about a lot. Um, obviously as, as an interior linebacker, that's kind of a, a position that sort of you get groomed to lead. And he's been under Gerard Mayo kind of, kind of learning at his feet. And, and I think guys really gravitate toward him. And I think Dietrich Wise Jr. is another guy. I mean, he's really come into his own. It's been fun kind of kind of seeing him the way that he, he goes about in the locker room because you know he can he can get up to the podium and be kind of like, you know, a little bit more low-key with the way that he talks. But then he 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 around the locker room, he's out there messing around and uh, crashing interviews and pretending to do podcast interviews with with people you know, at their lockers or you know, joking around, what have you. Um, just telling guys, like, for example, he crashed Jacoby Myers end of season, a uh, media eval in the locker room. And he's just like, hey, what, what, what are your plans? Are you going to go someplace warm? You're going to head to a beach someplace with some water and sand? You know, just over the top of everybody, just giving everybody a laugh. And, and I feel like people gravitate toward him as well, even though he, he's got that quiet leadership. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he's very professional and he's just a great guy off the field as well. 
he's going to be another big one. And I'll say this too. I know a lot of people are kind of wondering about, about this, but I mean, Mac Jones is on that list. I think that, that the guys in the locker room, they like Mac Jones. They, they believe in him. They want to ride or die with that guy. I mean, as much as the questions about him, uh, you know, acting up or acting out and uh, is he a dirty player, you know, what, what, whatever. But I, th- those guys in the locker room really like him. All right, put on your hoodie. Give me three moves that Bill Belichick <laughs> needs to make this offseason if he wants to get the Patriots to where they ultimately want to or or need to be. I, I have three, and I'll, I'll start off with this, and I'll kind of give you the thumbnail version. I think that they need to, in no particular order, firm up the offensive line because a good offensive line can make a bad quarterback good and a good quarterback great, whether that's scheme, whether that's personnel, whether that's coaching, whatever the case may be, they need to make things right along the offensive line. Two, they need to square away the offensive play calling position. You know, I, I don't think Patricia's the long-term answer, whether Bill keeps him in that role or not. Um, whether it's Bill O'Brien, whether it's Chad O'Shea, whether it's Cliff Kingsbury, whether it's somebody else, I think they need to be able to find some stability there. And then the third thing is you got to take care of special teams. For so many years, the Patriots on special teams, they won in the margins. They won doing the little things. And a lot of those little things came on special teams. We haven't seen that over the last year and a half, with the exception of Nick Folk. Really, we haven't seen that from this team. So those are my three things that Bill needs to address immediately at the start of this offseason. What are your three? So just, just a quick one before I dive into my, my three specific points with the special teams. If anybody's a football outsiders fan, they like DVOA. The Patriots had an above average special teams DVOA in every year from 1996 to 2020. It's extraordinary. That's what happened in 2021. Cam Acord took over the job <laughs> and they have been below average ever since, including having the worst special teams DVOA in the league this year. That guy needs to be furbing up his resume. Uh, don't necessarily like to think about or talk about people losing their jobs, but I feel like that's probably one that's going to happen. Um, so then in that case, if you got Joe Judge on your staff, you keep him with a nebulous title so that the New York Giants uh, don't get any ideas about trying to make you pay for him. And then you throw him over there and make him do your special teams. Um, in terms of my three things, I would say, and, and this isn't necessarily the, oh, it's going to cure everything. But to me, you get Bill O'Brien in the building. I feel like he's just, he's the most experienced, the best fit to work with Mac Jones in particular, both because, I mean, he, he worked at Mac Jones alma mater. They had a little bit of interaction where Mac Jones was teaching him the Alabama offense and so on and so forth. And, and I feel like he just has a track record with quarterbacks from the good ones to the to the eh ones in terms of getting the most out of them. So I, I feel like that just makes the most sense. And, and if you're still going to have your two tight ends around Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, he was the guy who got the most out of your two tight ends back in 2011 as well. So I think that there's, there's reason that he specifically is the best option. Cliff Kingsbury, I just don't know if that's the play for him because there are so many other questions about, I mean, would he want to work with Mac Jones? And again, you can't give him the offensive coordinator title if you want Arizona to pay for him through 2027. So uh, they, that's an important still... distinction here that we should think about here. And because we talk about how Bill likes kind of taking these guys back into the building and look in Kingsbury's case, it's a circuitous route, but that's an important point to bring up when you're talking about bringing in someone like that in that situation. 
Yes. And, and yeah, it's great to talk about the idea that, yeah, we'll go ahead and, and get this guy on the cheap. But I mean, it's going to have to be another Matt Patricia situation. And does Cliff Kingsbury want to do that? I mean, would you rather just wait until a better opportunity arises or something else that you like more arises? Do you really just want to run back to, to New England and, and work under Bill Belichick, which is you know, famously, as we've heard over the past couple of days, it's not the easiest job to have working under Bill Belichick. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I think at least Bill Bryan kind of knows the score. He knows what it's like around here. I feel like that would be something that would, would make sense to me. We'll see. Number two, you got to get an offensive tackle specifically because I think the interior is probably fine. You're probably set. I think Michael Owenu is going to be a guy that you should extend because he's he's that good. Mm -hmm. David Andrews is going to be here. Cole Strange is is a you're going to be a second year player. He's locked in at left guard. I don't think you got any problems with that. But your tackle situation is bad. You have your your right tackle though. I think Connor McDermott filled in admirably towards the end of the year. He should compete for a position as a starting tackle, but you don't want to go into 2023. Oh yeah. Connor McDermott is definitely my right tackle. feel like you can do better. And then Trent Brown, I mean, whether it's because of health or because of you know some other reason, he just wasn't as good as he was last year, in my opinion, or you know, sliding over from the left to the right or, or whatever uh, the reason might be. So I think that you need to get a young tackle in there I think that should be the focus of their first pick in the draft whether you're able to get a shot at Northwestern's uh, Peter Skoronsky who's mm -hmm. probably the best most NFL ready player at that position right now or you take a flyer on somebody like Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State or Broderick Jones from Georgia even though he's a little young and a little bit inexperienced that might not be something that the Patriots do the other thing that I feel like needs to be done and I mean this is maybe a, a split partner here you need to get a very good corner and a, a number one wide receiver. So you need to add talent on the outside on both sides of the ball. I like John Jones. I think the cornerbacks were better than, than we thought they were going to be. Mm -hmm. But again, you when you went up against the, the Stefan Diggs and the Jamar Chases, you were still getting beat because those guys are just better than your guys. It's as simple as that. So I feel like you need to upgrade that. You don't necessarily want to keep going into seasons with John Jones and Jalen Mills as your top two corners. They're fine, but they are not elite enough to deal with the corners that you're going to be dealing with, or rather the receivers that you're going to be dealing with. And then from a receiver perspective, look, it's Mac Jones's third year. You've seen the blueprint. Bill Belichick has to know this. Josh Allen got a Stefan Diggs. Tua Tungabailoa got a Tyreek Hill. Jalen Hurts got an A.J. Brown. Everybody is doing it because this is the important time to see if your guy is your guy, like the guy. And you can't keep rolling out B-level receivers at this point. I feel like we, we've seen it enough times now with, with this team the last couple of years where it could be worse, but it's not good enough. So I feel like you got to do that, whether that means you go ahead and you, and you swing in the first round on a receiver or at least high in the draft on somebody who's got that kind of upside, or you go ahead and you ship over a day two pick for DeAndre Hopkins. So boundary help, Bill O'Brien, and tackle, depth of tackle. Yeah. I think though that's the three-part plan. I, you know, I I agree. I'm I'm pretty much spot on with you on, on two of those. So although I will say this that I, I keep thinking about this and I brought it up with LG. The idea of Chad O'Shea doesn't doesn't 
I don't want to say it doesn't worry me that much, but it's it's intriguing. I'll see, you know, if, if you can figure out a way to get him as a, you know, if you can't get Bill O'Brien, if Kingsbury is not coming, if you don't have anyone, if Nick Cayley, who, you know, we were told is the, you know, the the bright yeah. young mind in the system, maybe you get Chad O'Shea. I, you know, he's called plays before. He knows he's got the yeah. shorthand. He knows the system. He knows the building. You're not starting from zero with a guy like that. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point because basically I think we need to start from here. Anybody that we are potentially talking about calling plays has to have been here before because that's just how they operate here. Um, the, any idea that, oh, yeah, we're going to bring in uh, some hot new uh, you know, coordinator from the outside of, of the Belichick circle is probably not happening. So I feel like we need to narrow the scope here. So, yeah, Chad O'Shea was there from 2009 to 2018 as a wide receivers coach. I mean, he knows exactly. He knows the system. He knows the, the work requirements. He knows how they want things done. And so I think that, that that's plausible for sure. And, and I think that one way or another, whoever it happens to be, I feel like it has to, it has to be somebody, as you mentioned, who has called plays before, who has experience on the offensive side of the football beyond whatever experience Matt Patricia just garnered for this year, or be like, oh yeah, Joe Judge used to be a quarterback, so he can be our quarterback's coach, even though he doesn't coach that position. So, or he hasn't done it in the NFL. So to me, I feel like we need to get back to having adults and experience in the room instead of trying to experiment because you just wasted a year of Mac Jones's rookie contract on some idea that, oh yeah, we're going to simplify things and, and, and change things up. And, and, uh, oh yeah, we'll make it so easy that Matt Patricia can do it, except that he couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So to me, I feel like we need to get back to the point where as Dan Orlovsky said uh, on, on ESPN the other day, we need to get back to the point where Mac Jones is saying, why? In terms of like, why? Yes, I've mm -hmm. got it. I know what I'm looking for. I know how to solve this problem as opposed to why are we doing this? <laughs> exactly. That's a great way to look at it. One of the things that stood out for me about O'Shea was that NLG said this, that even though he was the wide receivers coach, he knew everything about the offense. Like he could go to O'Shea with a question about, you know, a certain level of the offense that had nothing to do with a wide receiver position. Yeah. And he was able to give him a straight answer. Okay. I want to get your thoughts, uh, more league wide thoughts here. As the regular season is wrapped up, we're looking at the playoffs. I have three questions for you. Actually, I have two specific postseason questions for you. And then one kind of broader football question that I asked on Twitter, and I'm intrigued to get your take on this. First of all, who's winning the Super Bowl? Um, I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I say this. I, I, at the start of the year, I picked the Chargers just so mm -hmm. for consistency's sake. I'm going to stick with them, even though I don't think they're going to win it. I think it's more going to be the Bills, Kansas City, maybe Cincinnati. But I'll, I'll see again for consistency's sake. I'll stick with uh, with Los Angeles for now. For consistency's sake, I'm going to pick the Buffalo Bills because that's who I picked before the season. I mean, I know Patriots fans, you know, you don't want to hear that part, but I think that he's, you know, Josh Allen's that good, and the Bills have a really good team. They've come up short the last couple of years. It feels like this could be the year that they break through. All right. Give me your MVP. I'm going Mahomes. Yeah. I feel like at this point you can go ahead and, and I, I really like Jalen Hurts. I love what he was doing. He's the, the uh, you know, best player, the catalyst behind the team with you know, one of the best records in the league, I believe the best record in the league. But at the same time, man, Patrick Mahomes is on a different level. He is playing a different sport 
than just about anybody else. He's making it look easier than everybody else. I mean, what he set the record for most yards of players ever accounted for in an NFL season. I mean, to me, that says it all. And everybody thought he was, everyone thought that he was going to drop off because he didn't have Tyreek Hill. And he's like, okay, watch this. <laughs> it almost feels at this point like the Chiefs are, I don't want to say they're losing interest, but they're trying to find ways to keep themselves engaged, oh you know, with God. with that huddle. Yeah, the merry-go-round huddle. It, it's like watching the Harlem Globetrotters against the Washington Generals <laughs> at some point, where it's just like, okay, look, how can we stay engaged here in this season? Well, the other thing, too, that, of course, if Mahomes wins the MVP, the Chiefs are not winning the Super Bowl. This is now, what, 24 mm. years, going all the way back to Kurt Warner. I, I, I don't want to put that whammy on the Chiefs, but, you know, if Mahomes wins the MVP... You know, it kind of is what it is at this point. Yeah, and they didn't win. They didn't win the Super Bowl the last time he won MVP either. So, would you, yeah, keep track. I mean, obviously, right? But yeah, he won MVP in his second year, and they got bounced by the Patriots. All right, so so I want to wrap up with this question. And I, you, as a really smart football guy, I, I would hope would be able to shed some light on this here. I, I put this on Twitter in the wake of the national championship game. Should we be talking more about Kirby Smart in the NFL? You know, I feel like the last couple of years have shown that jumpers from college to the NFL, I mean, it, it's a different game. And I feel like, and I mean, even Nick Saban, right? So he, he went to the NFL and he wasn't nearly as successful as he was in college. Because look, in college, it's about recruiting and it's about selling people and coming to your program and right now george is just on an absolute heater just in terms of the defenses they're able to put together the absurd amount of talent that they are able to to bring in i mean they got like this freshman quarterback freshman cornerback like starks who just like made an interception in game one off of bo nicks against oregon i was like what do you mean that kid's a freshman you mean that he's going to be there for at least two more years are you kidding <laughs> and, and then and Brock Bowers isn't even NFL eligible yet. I yeah. mean, it, it's it's not right to be able to put together that level <laughs> of talent, but you can do that in college as long as you can sell people on, hey, this is the best program right now. Come join me. In the NFL, it's a little bit different. You don't have those obvious talent gaps. I mean, even if you're talking about Georgia being in the SEC and they go up against Alabama and, and, and what have you, right? It's different. So I'm not saying that Kirby Smart doesn't belong in the NFL. I mean, it, it would make, if he wanted to make that jump, he certainly could. At the same time, if he just wanted to stay Georgia's head coach forever and just yeah. keep on raking in the dough and keep on competing for national championships with this awesome roster that he continues being able to put together, go ahead and just keep doing that as long as you want. Because, I mean, the gravy train is just going to keep on moving. And right mm -hmm. now it looks unstoppable. If I'm Arthur Blank, though, I mean, do I even think about making that phone call and saying, sure. look, I'll give you total control. I'll give you 10 years, you know, $100 million, whatever you want. I'll, I'll write you, you know, I'll give you a blank check. Arthur and Blank giving out blank checks? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think you, you could do that. I feel like Anytime you're signing a coach to that long of a commitment, I mean, we just saw this with John Gruden, and it mm -hmm. went belly up real fast. Though it wasn't necessarily just like because of team performance, it was because of other things, but it's not like they were performing terribly well as a team either. Because again, right, it's, it's, it's a different ball game. 
And I feel like, again, college coaches are figuring this out in kind of a painful way. I mean, you know, Matt Rule, yeah, go ahead and have some, some uh, you know, good performance at Baylor. And then you come to the NFL, oh, that's not like Baylor. I mean, Georgia and the SEC is about probably as close as you could get talent-wise to what the NFL has to offer. But again, even then, you're not always going to be getting Jalen Carters coming into your building unless you're bad. You know, you don't get them just willingly, just like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll totally come here. It's like, you you got you to draft those guys. You got to figure out how to sign and develop those guys year in and year out. And chances are, you're still going to be dog fighting through one possession games every single week. So I, I think that, if you are a college coach who's set at a, at a program like Georgia, I mean, look at Saban. I mean, you could throw the bag at Saban. I don't know that he's going anywhere. He's got he's got one of the best gigs out there right now. If Kirby, Kirby Smart could just stay there forever, at the same time, I think that if you are the Falcons and, and you're looking at that and you say, look, we need some stability. We could use some, uh, you know, a shot, a shot in the arm right here. Why not? Go ahead, pick up the call, you know, pick up the phone, see what he would want. I would be aware of putting too much into that basket though, because it hasn't been working out for a lot of guys in that position of late. Yeah. Kyrie, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, my friend. Let people know where they can read your stuff and where they can hear you these days. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter basically all the time at Katie Thompson five to read my work on weei.com. You, you can occasionally hear me on weei's airwaves. I'll usually tweet that out when it's happening. And you can listen to the first in Foxborough podcast, which you can uh, listen to, download, stream on the free Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. Thanks so much, my friend. Take care and we'll talk again soon. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. One more reminder. This episode of the Patriots Board has been brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL and bowl season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news and game trends at Bet Online. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. With the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.